Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 9. This morning we were privileged to be able to read uh, the first 22 verses. I'd like to read again beginning at verse 20. And we recognize that the first 19 verses primarily contained a prayer of Daniel for uh, the people and regarding um, God's covenant promises. This was a prayer that was prompted by God's word as permeated with the confession of sin, and it pleads for God's mercy. And the prayer is answered speedily in verses 20 through 27. Let us hear then God's holy word. Daniel 9, verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God from the holy mountain, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider this the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined." Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word as well as add his blessing to the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, prayer here is answered. God is merciful. Daniel had committed his cause and the cause of the people of God and the city of God unto the Lord in a covenantal way, confessing sin and pleading upon the mercy of God And it is heard because God is a covenant-keeping God. Just as He's promised throughout the Scriptures. 
We could turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when Solomon dedicated the temple. And there as he as they witnessed fire come down and the glory of God filling the temple and they bowed their faces to the ground. They praised God and said, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And God tells them that even when He shuts up the heaven and there is no rain and when locusts devour the land and pestilences among their people, when there's great affliction... He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And certainly when we think about Daniel here, and we hear him humble himself, and we hear him pray, and we hear him seek the face of God and repentance, God hears His prayer and answers His prayer speedily. And certainly, you could even go further back than that. You think of how God has cut a covenant already with with Abraham in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, you you, you see this picture unfold of, of Abraham being called to take this heifer and to cut it into pieces and to lay birds on both sides and, and, and to leave a path in the middle. God is cutting a covenant with Abraham, promising him that there will be a seed even as the stars of the heaven and that they will be given a land, the promised land. And what happens? Abraham is trying to scare away all the wild beasts and the birds and, and he gets tired. And he falls asleep. He recognizes that he can't keep this covenant even himself. And in the midst of this time, God comes and he passes through. He passes through in a theophany between these cut pieces of meat. And what is he saying? He's saying this. If I don't keep my word, Abraham... The same will happen to me as what had happened to this heifer. It'll be, I will be cut and sawn in two. That's how certain God's covenant is. That's how certain God's word is and his promises. And so certainly as Daniel is pouring out his heart in covenantal prayer, God speedily answers him. And we see that reflected here in our passage. There's a swift reality to God hearing the prayer. Notice that with me in verse 20. Daniel says, While I was speaking, while I was praying and confessing my sin. Yes, and he goes on to repeat that with emphasis in verse 21. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, a man, Gabriel, an angel from God, he come to me swiftly, flying swiftly. He had been caused to fly swiftly to reach me. It was an immediate answer to this prayer. And there's, there's a reason attached to that as well. Notice the timing of this answer. It was at the evening sacrifice. And, and Daniel recognized that. He reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. What What's... So profound to me, as Daniel, remember, is now 80-some years old. He's been away from Jerusalem since he's been 14 years old. 
Well, I don't remember too many things, and I'm only 47. I don't remember too many things from when I was 10. A few things from when I was 14. But the worship of God had such an impression on Daniel, he remembered the very time of the evening sacrifice. And it was at that time of the evening sacrifice that this angel Gabriel comes swiftly to him. This teaches us something about the principled life that Daniel lived in the worship of God throughout his life, even in exile. I I have to blush with embarrassment if we would compare COVID-19 to exile when we were worshiping our God as families in our homes. And we were exiled, as it were, from the sanctuary of God. Daniel is in exile and he worshipped his God daily. Daily. With great desire and great devoutness. And, And really, this is what made him so beloved of God. Notice in verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I I have come to tell you. I've come swiftly to you. Why? For you are greatly beloved, says Gabriel. Daniel, you are greatly beloved of God. There's a divine love for you. A, A love that flows out of that covenantal relationship that God has with you. You know, this morning I said a covenant relationship isn't like a business contract that you have between uh, two business partners. It's really not even the same as a marriage. Maybe closer would be a father. A father loving and delighting to hear the request of his children. A father whose ear is tuned to hear the cries of his children. Daniel, you are greatly beloved. This angel comes to remind him of the promises of God and to give him clarity to what he's praying. Daniel's been reading Jeremiah. He's reading of these 70 years and then the the time of this desolation will come to an end and they'll be able to return to Jerusalem. But Gabriel wants to come and give him a further promise of God. He wants Daniel to not just look to returning to Jerusalem and to be able to experience the sacrifices again and to experience God's presence with them in Jerusalem. He wants wants him to look even further than that. Past the 70 years to the 70 times 7. To the fullness of time when He will give His only begotten Son and He will come to give that final sacrifice as He's crucified. Daniel, I want to clear this up for you. There's more. There's more than just returning to Jerusalem. There's something even in the distance that's even far greater than all the worship that there was and is in Jerusalem. So by God's mercy and by God's grace and by God's guidance, 
He sends Gabriel to teach and give clarity to the very promises of God. That's the message for Daniel, and it's the message for us today. But even as the the angel is to come and give Daniel clarity, let's pray that God comes and gives us clarity by His Holy Spirit, because this isn't an easy passage to interpret. This isn't an easy passage to, to speak on, the 70 weeks. Especially when you think about all the different views that there are surrounding this very passage in Scripture. It's paralleled to Revelation chapter 20 and how people understand the end times and so on and therefore have made all kinds of different understandings and interpretations of this very passage. And maybe it's like when I turn in a commentary to see once if it's a faithful commentary on Romans and kind of look at uh, what, what, what's the commentator's view on Romans 7? Maybe some people listen to my sermons and they say, well, I wonder what pastor's view is going to be on Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, because that will tell me if he's a faithful exegete of Scripture on the end times. Well, I don't really want to go there. I don't want to even tell you what my millennial views are. I want to, I want to make no apology but simply look to the text and seek to understand from God's Word and try not to fit it into an eschatological or end-times quagmire of interpretations. Maybe if you've listened to my sermons already and you've understood all the various interpretations on these things, you already know what my position might be anyway, but, but nonetheless, let us focus on God's Word here as we turn to it and hear of God's covenant faithfulness in answering Daniel's covenantal prayer. I'd like to look at that with a theme. God, God's covenant answer to, God, to Daniel's covenantal prayer is really a promise and prophecy of Christ crucified. A promise and a prophecy of Christ crucified. To understand this properly, we need to understand and back up and remember the theological purpose of the book of Daniel. Daniel was written especially for the Israelites, even during the Babylonian captivity. And we recognize that as we we looked at Daniel chapter 1. Babylon had come and destroyed the temple of God. They have taken the the temple ornaments back to, to Babylon and showed that to the world, made an open display that the Babylonian gods were superior to the God of Israel. And the purpose of Daniel is to remind the Israelites, no, there is a God in heaven. And He does rule and reign over all things. And He corrects this false impression. It was to give hope and give confidence to the Israelites, but also for us today in similar situations. And so here the historical purpose of Gabriel coming to Daniel, to be sent to Daniel with this specific message is saying, Daniel, 
you've only been thinking of these 70 years in terms of Jerusalem, but I'm going to tell you my 70 times 7 program for Jerusalem and for all of God's people. It's a greater purpose. It's a greater fulfillment. And you're going to witness even greater things. Therefore, you will witness the fullness, the completeness of my covenant faithfulness. You will witness the completeness of my mercy. And that will come through the promised Messiah, Christ crucified. And what is Christ crucified going to do? That promise and that prophecy of Christ crucified is first of all going to destroy. It's going to cut off the sin of covenant breakers. Notice that in verse 24. That 70 weeks are determined. They are set by God for your people and for your holy city. There's going to come a fullness of time and I'm going to do something even greater than just bring you to Jerusalem, to that holy city. I'm going to come to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Well, when you look at that verse... You don't need to be very theologically minded to be able to understand that that is the very nature of what Christ has done for His people. It's the very nature of Christ's atoning work. Notice there's there's six things that are taking place. There's three things that are negative. The first is to finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To restrain sin. To forgive sin. To drive back sin. To weaken the effect of sin. To restrain sin. Sin will be brought into control. It will not flourish as it used to. God is sending someone to finish the transgression. And to make an end of sin. In other words, to be able to remove those sins. To lock those sins up. To secure those sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity, he says. In other words, to cover sin. To atone for sin. This is what Christ has done for sin. And this is the answer that Daniel desired in Daniel chapter 9. As he confesses his sin. And he confesses the sins of his people. He brings them before a covenant-keeping God, confessing that they're covenant breakers. And there needs to be something done for this sin. All the sacrifices in the world won't satisfy God's wrath and His fury against sin. All the blood of the animals will not satisfy But there's one who's going to come to finish transgression, to bring an end to sin, and make reconciliation for His people. Who else other than Christ and Him crucified will do this? Well, notice there's also not only three negatives, there's three positives. The three positives are, first of all, He will bring everlasting righteousness. That righteousness will be established. Jehovah, it's again you. Jehovah, our righteousness. 
He will come and take vision and prophecy and seal them to be able to say, even as it is said, and so fulfill every Old Testament prophecy and seal it up to come as the Holy One, to be anointed, not as many holy ones of kings and priests and prophets, but as the Holy One, the Messiah, to be anointed by God, to be our mediator, to be our Savior. This is exactly what will meet God's holy demand for perfect righteousness. It's Christ and Christ crucified that's the answer to Daniel's prayer. What encouragement for Daniel, who can't even witness the evening sacrifice, who's overwhelmed with contrition for the sins of God's people, even even his own sins. There is a remedy, Christ and him crucified, to destroy, to cut off the sin of covenant breakers. Not only does Gabriel tell him the answer to his prayer. But he sets forth the very timing because Daniel's thinking 70 years and two years this is going to happen. And Gabriel says, no, come up further. I want you to see from this mountaintop, I want, to see, I want you to see the peak of the mountain. I want, to see, I want you to see the summit. I want, to see, I want you to see that fulfilled purpose in the 77s. It's not necessarily 70 weeks. It's 70 sevens, literally, in Hebrew. It's 70 divisions of seven. You could call them weeks. That's fine. But what it's showing there is the symbolism behind the numbers that seven, which is, which is taken for perfection, and, and ten, which is taken as a symbol of completion. There's 70 times ten, and then there's another seven. It's... it's, it's it's absolutely fulfilled and perfectly fulfilled and perfectly completed. We don't take literally, do we, Jesus, when he says, you have to forgive your brother 70 times 7, and then once you've forgiven him 490 times, you don't have to forgive your brother any longer. We don't take that literally, do we? Just like we don't take this literally. We take this figuratively, that there will be 70 units of fullness of God's ordained time. And notice that in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, God's time, to restore and build Jerusalem from that time until the Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there will be 69 full units of time. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So there's a small unit of time, seven sevens, which, which begins with that command going forward to rebuild Jerusalem in 538 and under Cyrus's decree. Um, and terminates under the completion of the city and the temple in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. And so at that time, is showing that seven units of fullness of time. And then there are 62 sevens, 
that will be until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is really predicted about what happens during this time other than that there will be troublous times. And we saw that from Daniel 8 when we saw um, that little horn, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and the trouble that he would bring upon Jerusalem. They indeed will be troublous times. But our hope is, is in the extremely important events that will happen in the final seven, in that final unit of time. And that becomes the focus then of this passage. Of the hope for Daniel is in this last time. In verse 26. After this, Messiah the prince, he shall come. And after those 62 weeks, in that time, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That's, that's the... That's the focus of this passage is that there's a Messiah that's coming in that fullness of time, in that 70th week, in that final seven. He's coming. And He's coming. And that includes His birth, His, his, his suffering, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven. And as He sits at the right hand of God, it's all included there. This Messiah will be cut off, but He will not be cut off for Himself. He will be cut off for the sins of His people. Because He's coming to destroy the consequences of sin in that final time. And notice the effects, the consequences of Christ's atoning work here in verse 26. He will suffer this violent death In other words, He is the one who's going to fulfill this covenant obligation for covenant breakers. He's going to be broken, even as what we deserve, so that God will be faithful to His covenant mercies. And He shall confirm that covenant we read in verse 27. He will confirm it with many. And He will cause that covenant to prevail. It's not a new covenant. It's not the initiation of a covenant. But it's rather this covenant that God has had from from the beginning of time, from from the fall in paradise. He's going to ratify that covenant of grace with His people through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. As He comes and He suffers for His people as the seed that was promised to Abraham, as the seed that was promised already to Adam. And that blood of the covenant And Jesus says Himself that was shed for many is now fulfilled. A fulfillment of Daniel 9, verse 27. And in that, He comes to give that final sacrifice as a culmination of all the sacrifices that have gone before so that the temple worship can now cease by His death and resurrection even as we witness in his death that temple rail being ripped, veil being ripped in two. He comes to destroy sin for covenant breakers, to take it away, to atone for it. But the prophecy and promise of Christ crucified does something more. 
So we want to see in our remaining time. The promise and prophecy of Christ crucified also destroys or cuts off covenant rejectors. We find in our passage, and on the wing, in verse 27, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. An end that will come like a flood that we read in verse 26, till the end of the war desolations are determined. Now this is where it gets very challenging to to understand as to exactly what this message the message is here. There's two ways that I think are valid to interpret this. The first one, and maybe they're both valid, and the first one is pointing also then even to a greater fulfillment that will come in, in the future. So the first way to understand this last seven this final seven, is that Christ is coming, and this includes, yes, his death and resurrection, and also some commentators say the destruction of Jerusalem, and then it ends there. That would be in 70 AD. And this is the the 70th, seven, which the Messiah will then be cut off. The city and the sanctuary will suffer desolation. They are, um, you recognize that, that, Titus um, has come, the emperor Titus of the Roman Empire has come, and he destroys Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And puts, really causes an end to come to the sacrifice and to all of the temple worship. And, and we, can, we can understand that from Jesus' ministry as well in Matthew 23 and 24, and when he's talking about the, the times when when Jerusalem will be destroyed. And that could be a very legitimate interpretation of this final seven. That this final seven will come and there will be a pause after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until 70 AD when Titus comes to destroy Jerusalem. If this is the correct interpretation, it's, it's actually not that... Hard to understand why the angel Gabriel was so excited to communicate this to Daniel and to bring this to him, this message to him. Because he's saying to Daniel, don't worry, the covenant keeper will come. And even though he will come to his own and his own will reject him, his own will crucify him, and they will persecute his disciples and followers, Ultimately, they are covenant rejectors and God is seeing what is happening in Jerusalem and He's coming to avenge the blood of His Son and the blood of those who were followers of Him at the hands of covenant rejectors. Now I can, I can empathize with that position, but I think that pause also can refer to another pause. A pause that shows that that there's a pause in this final week so that that covenant can be confirmed with many. Not just those who were in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. Not just the disciples and their followers. But to all the Jews and the Gentiles alike. 
until the full number of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is brought in. And that covenant, those covenant mercies are to, are to, are to, to the ends of the earth. And when all types of people, all walks of life and all races and all nations come into the full membership of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then those final desolations will come, possibly in what we call the great tribulation. I would also fit with Matthew 24 and so on. Personally, I don't think it matters which interpretation you take on what this pause halfway through the final seven is. The message is the same for Daniel and for us today. And it's a message that God will come and He will destroy covenant rejectors in the times of Jesus and in our day also. Now, it's kind of interesting here. If you would think about Daniel and his reactions to Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, you saw Daniel was faint and sick and horrified for days. What's interesting about Daniel chapter 9 is there's no response given to what Daniel to how Daniel responds to this vision and this message. This was also a horrific message. It's terrible news. The Messiah will be cut off. The city and the sanctuary will be destroyed again. There will be wars of desolation. There will be end of sacrifice and offering. This beloved city of Daniel will no longer be. And what was Daniel's reaction? I don't know because it doesn't say. But the silence speaks volumes. Did not Daniel see beyond here the Old Testament ceremonies as being now fulfilled in the Anointed One, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would take away sin and who would destroy those who are against Him and His covenant? In the distance, didn't he see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who would suffer not for Himself, but for Daniel and for all His faithful followers? Beyond, didn't he see the gathering clouds of gloom and the judgment of God being swept away? By Christ, who sits on the throne? Did he maybe recall the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? How that little stone came out of nowhere, not made with human hands, and was cast at the feet of that idol, that statue, and it came tumbling down? Did he see the Messiah sitting enthroned, ruling over all things? Did he remember the vision of the Son of Man in Daniel 7? coming with the clouds of heaven to receive His kingdom from the ancient of days to receive dominion and power over all His people? Is this what Daniel was seeing mixed in with this vision of 77s? Did he grasp something of the awe that his God would show him a Savior, a Messiah, who would accomplish his full salvation and the salvation of all his people. And a God who is so personally 
in, in, in covenant and relationship with him. And he says, Daniel, you are beloved. You are my beloved. You are much loved. Two things are clear from this passage. And I'll keep the clear things before you. And the clear things are that God comes with a covenant answer. And that answer is this. That Christ crucified will atone for Daniel's sin and your sin once and for all when we believe in him. And secondly, Christ crucified will destroy covenant rejectors. And so it's not so important to worry about what might have been going through Daniel's mind at this point. But what's important is what's going through your mind and my mind as we read this passage. Do we believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is crucified for sin, who is cut off for our transgression? We who by a true faith and the very work of Christ, we can know assuredly that all our sins are crucified with Him. They are buried with Him in the grave. We can be assured that His righteousness is given to us as if we earned that righteousness ourselves. And we are forever protected from the covenant rejectors who would blaspheme and reject the very work of Christ Oh, for us who believe in Him, we can exclaim, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Hallelujah! Our God is faithful! Hallelujah! Our God is triumphant! Do you see our God? Do you see His covenant? Do you see His love? His steadfast love? His mercy? His grace? And do you behold Jesus? And do you say, I can behold Him? The one who is full of grace and truth. Who displays the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. A one who came to give his life for me, a covenant breaker. The one who passed through those pieces of animals that were sawn in two. And said, my word and my work is so perfect. Perfectly fulfilled. That it's suitable for a covenant breaker like you. And like me. I plead with you today. As an ambassador of King Jesus. I plead with you to believe in him. To live for him. Because tomorrow, there will be a day of reckoning for every covenant rejecter. Those who reject Christ will be made desolate, and on them will be poured the full wrath of Almighty God. There will be no escaping. His wrath for those who believe in Him 
What a glorious testimony. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of afflictions, in the midst of a world where so many are enduring intense persecution, there is a Savior. He is the one who's the anointed one, the Messiah that was cut off, the one who made an end of transgression, made an end of sin for all his people. Is that a comfort for you? Will that get you through this week and through the rest of your life and to eternity? Daniel could take these visions, this word, as sealed by God and to rest in them even as he went to the grave in exile. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, how we give you thanks for the revelation of your word. And Lord, we look at the clear things and the plain things, and we simply say, praise the Lord. And we praise you for your covenant faithfulness. We praise you for your covenant love, for your mercy. Especially when we consider who we are in our own unworthiness. Oh, Lord Jesus, encourage us today with yourself, with your work with your power, even as you rule from the right hand of God over all things. We praise you. We worship you. We can't comprehend this. When you say we are loved by you, then we say to you, O Lord, And we love you too. And we can't live without you. And without your grace. So hear our prayer. And go with us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.